You're listening to Checking In, a self-help book club hosted by Adam and Amber, where we read self-help books each week and sit down to talk about them. Disclaimer, the opinions recorded on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the authors mentioned here. Trigger warning for mentions of addiction and abuse. Hey folks, we're back. Before we get into the title and the author and all that stuff, let me ask you a few questions. Do you feel like you have to solve people's problems or fix them? Do you find it almost impossible to say no? Do you have trouble trusting yourself and you feel like if you make a mistake, people will abandon you, like one mistake feels like the end of the world? Do you do anything to hold on to the relationship in spite of safety or feel like you can't survive on your own or like you'll die without this person? Do you have trouble asserting your own needs and wants in a relationship? Do you struggle to notice your own needs and feelings? Do you feel like you need constant reassurance, like, are you mad at me? And burnout, having trouble taking care of yourself properly? This week, the book is Codependent No More by Melody Beatty. Thank you for going ahead and reciting the title since I screwed it up last week and you didn't edit it out. But I will be referring to this book as <laughs> codependency no longer. Codependency now and forever, <laughs> nevermore. Forever codependent. Um, do you have a brief synopsis of the book itself? We both read two different versions. We discovered halfway oh, through the week. Oh, Lord, and we're going to have to talk about that. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I have some things to say about that. We'll get to that later. Um, okay, let me tell you about... Uh, Melody Beatty, uh, anyone who reads or listens to this book is going to get a, a big reason behind why Melody Beatty um, feels like she can write a book about this topic. And uh, after listening to her story, it's kind of crazy that she can speak. Um, so here's the little bio that she has on her website. She is a pioneering voice in self-help literature and the recovery movement. She's the author of many best-selling books, including The Language of Letting Go, Playing It by Heart, The Grief Club, Beyond Codependency, and The Codependent No More Workbook. In 2009, Newsweek named Codependent No More one of the four most essential self-help books of all time. Melody lives in Southern California and is at work on an inspirational memoir. Wow. Um, do you have a synopsis of the book? Cause I can try to, I mean, you know, I just listed as the book lists many times, but I've, I've got, um, sort of a, a definition of, uh, codependency. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead with that. I mean, I have my own synopsis of the book that I can just rattle <laughs> off with. Um, go for it. I mean, okay. Codependency no more. Um, uh, a lot of lists, a lot of lists happen. We're talking about codependency. It seems like it includes pretty much every human on earth. Like if you breathe, you're codependent. Yeah, um, a lot of people have mentioned being kind of confused by codependency. It's pretty broad. Um, a lot of talk about addicts and 12-step programs and things like that. These are things that, I mean, frankly, I'm just like not super well-versed in yeah um but a lot of 
stuff from these 12-step programs are easy to apply to non-addicts, I think, you know, like the concept of like letting things go. But she also has like a lot of stories from codependent people and in, in their relationships that really suck and are really sad to hear. <laughs> Am I doing a great job describing this book for you? Go buy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, folks. It gets better. Um, yeah, this. So there are many different uh, attempts at defining codependency. And uh, essentially, she says that it's it's an over-reliance on someone else's emotions, attempting to control someone else's emotions so that you'll be safe. That's kind of the root of where codependency seems to come from, is that if you have like uh, an addict or an explosive person in your life, essentially, not only will you be walking on eggshells, you will develop an entire set of really helpful skills so that they never blow up or that they never drink enough to uh, become destructive or become a problem. The problem with that is that you can't control other people and that all of these cool skills that you've acquired are going to become extremely destructive in your own future. It's going gonna, it's gonna to wind up hurting you more than anyone else as you seek to try to kind of keep yourself safe and control your situation, particularly when you move out of your... Let's say you were raised with an alcoholic or you were raised with an extremely abusive person or a gaslighter, narcissist, you know, what have you. You go out there into the world and you try to have relationships with people and you haven't read the manual on how to do this like, quote, normal people. Who boy, there's going to be some codependency. And uh, I don't know how this book would have fared 100 years ago. I think there would have been more eye rolling about it, but it's kind of like we've all got that person in our lives, whether it's a parent or a sibling or our first love or best friend or whatever, someone who hasn't been particularly functional or good for us, we're going to wind up being kind of codependent and kind of trying to make sure that we stay safe when, you know, people are just being people and you can't control people. Who recommended this book for you? Actually, I think it is from a group that I was in a few years ago, COSA. I, I got recommended a couple of books at that time, and this was one of them. And I really tried not to take offense to the recommendation because, dear listeners, I want you to put yourself in this position. A friend comes to you and says, hey, I need you to check out this book on codependency. Wow. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's a great way to get a rise out of somebody. We, t I mean, I was sitting here thinking about my own situation. Like, why do people keep recommending this book to me? I have no clue. What? What's the deal? I'm perfect. Why? I never had a therapist recommend this to me. <laughs> Thank goodness. I think they just thought that they might offend me. Yeah. Um, I'd say pretty high likelihood. I don't, I don't know if that's, I mean, I wouldn't offend me. Yet. It's not you. Yeah. It's not you, but it's human nature. Right. Like, hang on. Why are you saying that I'm codependent? <laughs> and also, what is codependency? <laughs> right. Um, I actually had never really heard the term until my ex-husband was 
someone reached out to him mm. and recommended that he look into um, a codependency anonymous group. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And mm-hmm. that's when I started kind of looking into it throughout the years. I have had friends recommended it to me over and over again. And this is the first time I cracked it open. I had no idea it was so old. Like it was from the eighties. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, it was, I mean, it was really great to finally, you know, finish reading it. I'm definitely not sorry that I read it. This is one of the books where I cracked it open and I got, I don't know, 10, 15 pages into it. And it, it kind of blew my mind because like, well, this checklist here is kind of undeniably me and stuff that I do. And it's talks about the environment that I was raised in accurately as if it's a fortune teller. And uh, I started to realize like, oh, this is actually like a lot of issues that I have right here is that like, even if I'm not codependent, I've been raised to believe that all of these things are fine. That's why I kind of feel like this is a helpful book, not for people who suspect that they might be codependent. It's a helpful book for people who are alive today, because there's certainly enough people out there stirring up trouble that freak us out and cause us to try to behave in codependent ways. It's not simply, I've got to be with my partner all the time. Lord knows that ain't it. That's not what it is. It's a whole variety of other things. One example is alcoholics. Now, I don't know if you know this, but this is actually recommended reading for Al-Anon. I don't know if this is like official recommended reading, but this is one of the places where I heard of the book was in Al-Anon meetings. Everybody references it. Everybody has read it. So hi, Al-Anon members. So, so this is recommended reading for people who've grown up with an alcoholic in the family. And, and as you try to hide that family member's alcoholism, guess what? All these codependent tendencies start start to happen, making excuses for them or rationalizing like, well, I mean, this is just the way things are. And, you know, I said, hey, no, I'm not going to do that. And here I am doing it anyway. And I have no boundaries anymore because of this person. But it's just this person and my partner and everybody that I'm going to be with in the future. (laughs) No, I think I definitely agree. She'll get you. She got me like hook, line and sinker within the first few minutes you know of wow this is so reflective of what I'd experienced Um, especially the part where she talks about how it's kind of like a denial of your own issue when you're like well I'm the responsible one I'm the one who's taking care of this person like I don't have a problem like I'm the one that's making sure our lives are okay and picking up these pieces and transparently when I first started diving back into it because I had gotten kind of like halfway through it and then I put it down you know and that's kind of you know why we talked about last episode I wanted to keep doing this podcast Um, so I started it from the beginning and I started feeling like very anxious I felt I think really triggered by some of the stories that were mentioned about people's 
codependent relationships with addicts and with people who have been abusive and kind of reflecting on my own experiences that were so similar. And then also just, I think I was like reading it and just like, oh my God, am I falling into this pattern again? Is this, is this what's happening to me right now? Like, do I need to like, just be on alert all the time to make sure I'm not doing these things? Like everything I do is codependent. Right. There's no way to fix it. Yeah. Like I was like starting to feel like really, really anxious about it. There, I think Melody Beatty actually does mention toward the end of the book, at least in my version, that the book tends to kind of wake up some pretty nasty feelings in people who are reading it. Mm-hmm. Is that there's so much gross stuff in there in terms of controlling behavior, not not just by codependence, but the people who have kind of inspired that codependent behavior. And readers tend to kind of get mad about a lot of that stuff again. But the thing is, all of these incidents in our lives that, you know, wounded us or whatever and kind of bumped us toward codependency, um, they weren't packed away and put into their proper boxes, And so all of this stuff is still laying out. Reading Codependent No More can kind of, it makes a mess. It makes a mess because you're cleaning up and putting things away properly, I hope. Yeah, I was also kind of wondering if, where do you feel like you are in your journey to independence or as Melody coins the term undependence because there was a lot of things where I was like wow this was me like four years ago this was me 10 years ago Mm -hmm. um and then there were like areas where I was like okay this part of me I feel like I've got a better handle on um while also acknowledging all of my imperfections of course I'm trying to observe and abide I'm trying to observe past and present behavior through the lens of like, hey, this might be, this might be codependent. You know, like if I've asked a family member to do something, you know, a hundred times without any, any change, I'm sitting there going like, well, am I being codependent now? And, you know, most of the time I'm like, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) The the thing isn't that I go and I do something about it. The point is that I need to be aware of my behavior and actually look at those things. Like, is it, you know, it'll be yes, no, or maybe. And, you know, we'll kind of have to see, like, okay, all right. So, yeah, I definitely don't have boundaries I'm comfortable with with this person. I need to do something about it now. You know, like you can't change your behavior if you don't recognize when you're making the choice to be that way. Right. And I think a lot of the parts that were painful to read and also think about in my own life were just parts of really like denial, denial of being codependent. You know, I've always I've been in therapy for a long time and I've always felt like. I'm doing all these right things, so why am I suffering this way? Yeah. Um, and not realizing that the problem is that I'm trying to make someone else also do the right things. Did her talking about 
one one aspect of codependency and uh, gaslighting is um, dissociative uh, feelings and uh, and states. Did did that kind of resonate with you? My dissociative episodes um, are. I think they are a little more geared towards just some of the symptoms of my PTSD. Sure. Um, I don't know if that's directly related to codependency, but that was just a a part of my genetic makeup that whenever I'm feeling alert, in danger, activated, I'm just like, you know, the fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. And I like think a lot of people are starting to do fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, mm. which fawn is a l- really codependent term also because instead of fighting, running away, freezing like I do and just like zoning out and being silent and crazy, um, the fawning is like, how can I make this better? Oh, my God, I need to, I need to fix this. Uh, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And that is definitely yeah, the, the fix it behavior is yeah. 100 percent. It's one of the main, main symptoms mm-hmm. of codependency. Mm-hmm. Because you're going through all of these stories about these primarily women <laughs> who are calling into their husband's job to call in sick for him because he's hung over from drinking all night or women who are going to anonymous meetings because their husbands are sex addicts and just constantly cheating on them. I personally was at the time in my marriage kind of denying that I was in a relationship with someone who was addicted to various things. Yeah. And I think that was also a huge issue of why I wasn't moving forward as well. Um, I can't make somebody recognize their own behavior. Right. But so you start to recognize their behavior. Mm -hmm. And then what? Are you kind of like, because there's a very long time before that light goes on. Right. Right. It's not like immediate for folks like you and me. It's kind of like a, a... the frog in boiling water. Like we don't realize that the water's boiling until it's, Mm -hmm. it's happening. Um, so it, there's like a long, for me at least, there's a long process of kind of waking up like, hang on. So this seemed like a lie (laughs) and I asked them about it and they said these other things, which also seemed like a lie, but then they said that everything was fine and I guess it is. And in the moment, like, it's just, it's easier just to go to bed than it is to stay up and worry about this stuff. Mm-hmm. But for me, there were definitely, like, dissociative events where, like, I, you know, like, I I honestly don't know what's real anymore. And that's not only, like, am I being lied to, but this feels like a movie. Like, this feels like it isn't actually happening. And that's yeah. you know, that's another, like state that happens yeah absolutely you know it's definitely she makes it very clear that this is not like a one-size-fits-all type of psychological issue um there's a lot of lists a lot of lists in the book um just listing 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 we could actually make a list of lists (laughs) i'm gonna pull some of my favorite items from the lists okay 
that I kind of jotted down while I was listening. Sometimes I would hear something and I'd make a note and be like, yeah, yeah, that's a big one. One of them was, it's not okay to feel my feelings, and I'm probably screwed if my partner feels theirs. Mm. Like just a general fear of like, I mean, we don't have time for my feelings. I'm already scared of them feeling theirs. Mm-hmm. If they if they get mad about something, I, I mean, I don't have time to get mad about anything. They're probably going to get mad at me for getting mad. It's just not a good situation. No. Um, I think there are a lot of parts where she kind of talks about things that would be considered trauma bonding. Mm. There's a lot of parts where she considers things as much your problem as it is theirs when it comes in terms of being codependent, um, anticipating someone's every move, and you're trying to control that person, but that person is controlling you. When you're trying to control somebody by, like, calling bars they go to if they're drinking or friends, mutual friends and seeing where they are. That person is controlling you and controlling your time. And those were parts that really resonated with me. Like sending on a wild goose chase. Yeah. Yeah. The idea that repressing feelings can make you physically sick and cause compulsive behavior. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, how the migraines ramp up when uh, when I'm trying to deal with lying, you know, like uh, and just compulsive behavior that starts to ramp up when I don't feel safe or secure anymore. She had, a, a I think, a whole chapter on anger. Yeah, she did. Woo. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about that? Angry? <laughs> it, I have a strange relationship with anger. That is probably one of my more suppressed mm, let's hear it. sides of myself. I had spent so much of my life anticipating someone else's anger and just really trying to avoid that pain when, frankly, you know, a lot of people's emotions are not your problem. Sometimes they force you force it to be your problem when th- someone is inflicting, you know, abuse yeah. towards you. But as far as my own anger, I felt like in this past year I've started to and I really think that this book, this chapter was super helpful in recognizing it as motivating and energizing and healthy yes to really feel angry and it also for me really pulled me out of what i felt like was victimizing pits um you know dips and valleys into that victimizing mindset of why does this always happen to me? Yeah. What am I going to do? There's nothing really that can be done. This is just how it is. Which is a state that can make you frustrated mm-hmm. and angry. Mm-hmm. So if you're sitting there thinking like, oh, but I shouldn't be feeling this way. There's no room for me to feel this way. 
that again, that comes back to like, well, I mean, you know, if you where are you storing that anger? Like, you know, hey, listeners, where are you storing anger in your body right now? <laughs> I can tell you exactly where I'm storing mine. It's like right on right on the top of my stomach, like right butt. right below, <laughs> which is why I had to have it amputated. <laughs> Um, the, so codependent people may feel that being angry makes them a bad person Mm -hmm. because a lot of the anger that they've seen is kind of coming at them, you Mm -hmm. know, and it can be violent. But like when we talk about anger, if you're picturing like somebody smashing things up, that is behavior. That's not an emotion. Right. And it is absolutely okay to feel angry, feel that anger, feel the burn of it and, you know, get it over with. You're going to get tired of that anger eventually and you can go work out, you know, like Mm. I've got a, I've got a punching bag that I like to go hit when I get angry because I get angry a lot. The, the problem isn't being angry. The problem is like, what do you do with that anger? And when it comes out in behavior, when it comes out as violence, when it comes out as like, you know, maybe I should not have smashed my guitar on stage. You know, like <laughs> the problem is the behavior. The problem isn't the fact that the emotion is there. My relationship with anger has definitely transformed a lot to where it doesn't feel like an emergency. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel like I'm dying. <laughs> and I have nowhere to put this. And she had another chapter about kind of dealing with your feelings as they are felt and moving on. And that was also really helpful. And I really liked that. The only things I feel like I was not able to fully grasp onto was just the kind of what felt like constant hammering in of like 12 step stuff Mm -hmm. which i think can be really helpful and i know so many people who live and die by their 12-step program i think the 12 um the 12-step stuff is in a way more um like the like you come back around to it Mm -hmm. with kind of a, a good understanding of what you've got now and you come back to it and like let's say you're living in a situation where My codependency has become unmanageable. Mm -hmm. You come back around to it, and then the 12 steps become more important. And I'm not saying, like, hey, 12 steps are not important. Obviously, it works if you work it. Yeah, and that's what she says. I just, I feel like there are more people that can exhibit behaviors of codependency, of abuse that aren't necessarily addicts yeah yeah and you don't have to do 12-step stuff like no one's trying to make you do anything and uh indeed even in al-anon and alcoholics anonymous and any of these uh support groups they don't make you do anything yeah you can come you can just show up you can come and and sit down and just listen if you're nosy you can just be like i want to hear everybody's drama yeah I <laughs> I was I was real good for that uh, on my uh, uh, some of my meetings that I went to or I you know I start talking and everybody raises their hand as I get close to ending and they're like we want to talk to you afterwards. Oh my god. <laughs> Anytime I get like a random message from some dude I dated that's like it's like years later and they're like, I just want to apologize for blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, are you, are you in like NA or something? 
<laughs> is that what this Why? is? Why? Just a hunch. <laughs> Are you trying to make amends with me? Like, I, I forgot about it. Go ahead. You're fine. Like, I have way bigger issues <laughs> to deal with now. <clears throat> we'll have to, at some point, go over, like, or, or you can just Google it. Y'all look up these the steps of a proper apology. It will change your life. First off, you will not accept apologies that are not properly done anymore, which good for you. That's a good step away from being codependent and a step towards like trusting yourself and having more self-confidence. And second, if you look this up and stick to the steps of a proper apology, I think that you'll be more effective um, at, at apologizing to people. Folks who are in 12 Steps, who are at the stage of, like, doing their apologies, have to do it properly. They can't just, like, text you and be like, hey, my bad. You know? Like, that doesn't... There's no accountability for that. There's no, hey, I'm not going to do this again. (laughs) No, like, here's how I think this made you feel. It's just like, ah, my bad, you know? Pretty much. That's what the types of things I would receive. And, and I mean, I can't say if they really were involved in some kind of 12 step program. I just had a hunch. Like, I can't imagine, yeah. like, why some random man who was such a piece of shit to me all those years ago would just randomly try to be like, hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> Unless they're just, like, trying to, like, fuck me now. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, there's some pretty good motivators out there in terms of sex. Uh, it. <laughs> Maybe I should apologize to her. God. And it she, she won't also let me hit it. Melody also emphasizes do not apologize to people that you know it's going to fuck them up. Yeah. Like bringing them back and I think I've like raised my voice right here <laughs> kind of high. But like please don't reach out to people who you've just irreparably irreparably traumatized, you know? <laughs> and be like, "Hey, I'm sorry." <laughs> My bad. Yeah, in that case, the apology is kind of more for you than it is for the person that you hurt. I would, uh, I would encourage y'all to stay away from that. Just like gracefully withdraw from that person's life and change your behavior. That's a pretty good apology right there. Just never do it again. <laughs> and also, good luck with that. <laughs> I want to like start doing a. Uh... What is it like an out of office automated response? Like, please send the apology to my Venmo account. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Here's $69. Nice. Hell no. It's going to be way more expensive than that. Are you serious? And if it's years years prior, we have interest on the apology. So here's $420. Oh, my God. Nice. I think it needs to be more than that. So... (laughs) Well, with inflation. I wanted to talk about how did this strike you? So, what is it, like half the book, she talks about detachment. Mm-hmm. How did that strike you? How did how did you feel as you were reading slash listening to her talk about detachment? So, throughout some of these stories she kept going over about, like, some of these just extreme cases... I say cases, they're just people, Um, these extreme situations these people were in. And at no point was she like, so if you find yourself in something like that, please leave this person. You know, you can't really 
tell anybody to leave. And also, if you're codependent, you're not going to. Yeah. Um, it, it It's going to be the hardest thing. Um, it's It would be... Honestly, like quitting drinking or quitting heroin, quitting cigarettes, mm-hmm. like you don't just stop this, you know, like there there has to be a lot of layers of understanding mm-hmm. and wanting to change things. And the, I mean, this is one of those things where if you're in a codependent relationship with an abusive person and you have some inkling that you need to leave. Mm-hmm it's understandable for it to take a while because there's a lot of planning that has to happen. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like, you've got to change so much inside of yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you have to completely like reorient like your whole being toward like, no, no more. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take this anymore. And it's just, it's just not as easy as saying All right, I'm done. No, it's it's not ever going to feel that way. no, and you know it sometimes i feel like i don't know if she mentioned this specifically but just knowing my life and friends of mine the more other people who really do love you kind of involve themselves in this i mean for all intents and purposes drama Mm -hmm. of your relationship the more resentful they're gonna feel the more issues that's gonna be caused between you and this partner the more resentful you're gonna feel against your friend and then you're just gonna start isolating which is what your what an abuser wants yeah yeah they want to cut off your support you're becoming more and more codependent on that person because you're ruining your friendships and your relationships with your family trying to protect this person. And I think that it should be a little bit more emphasized that this is completely alone, that you have to come to this. And I wish that I could explain it a little better, but there's just going to be a time where... You are done. Yeah. And I never really expected it personally in my life with my time that I was done. I never expected it. I didn't prepare. I had been trying to heal myself for a long time while being re-traumatized over and over again. And wonder how why that doesn't work. That's strange. Yeah. Um on that day, I was just like, I am so done. I am more than done. And I used that. I was so thankful that I was so angry. You were angry. I exactly. was so angry. Anger is the one that gets things done. Mm-hmm. That's who, boy, what a gratefulness exercise that is. I am so grateful that I was angry enough that day to do what I needed to do. Because mm-hmm. Lord knows... You know, like when it's just a quiet moment and the grandfather clock in the hallway is ticking and everything's okay in that moment, you're not going to be packing your bags. No. A a lot of the time it's going to be like, well, something violent happened and then for my own immediate safety, I have Mm -hmm. to figure this out now. And you're either going to stay gone or you're not. You know, it's an opportunity for for you to make that, that big change. But more than the big detachment in all capital letters 
Melody Beatty also talks about just the idea of like, let's just work detachment into our our everyday lives, Mm -hmm. just in terms of like, okay, so I know that so and so drank a lot last night and they're going to be late to their appointment this morning. And then you go off to work and you're fretting about whether or not going to be they're going to be late to their appointment. You know what? That's their deal. Like, you don't have to feel that awful feeling in the pit of your stomach. That's their job. That's their feelings. That's their life. Mm -hmm. I know that's your partner, but she ain't their mom. You know, it's not your job to wipe their butt and send them out the door on time. They are a whole ass person. They are a grown ass adult. They need to be doing these things themselves. There was an article in the New York Times talking about this book saying that there's no science to support the idea that codependency is real. And also the whole idea of codependency is having a toxic effect on people in recovery. And I read the article. I read the book. I'm willing to say this. I'm willing to go on record and say this. The person that wrote that article didn't read the fucking book. Maybe they're codependent. <laughs> it's, I couldn't read it because I hit a paywall. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so I'm just relying I, on And you. this is not the first time that I've seen New York Times throw up a gross headline just for clickbait. Uh, and I believe that's what's going on here. It's entirely possible. Yeah, I'm on fire here. It's <laughs> entirely possible that this writer is themselves an addict. And they're like, hey, man. <laughs> You need to care about my fucking feelings or I'm going to drink some more. That is not what this book is about. This book is about finding, not completely eradicating um, the whole idea of like, well, here's my stuff and here's your stuff. Mm-hmm. It's And just completely detaching like... My kid has a heroin problem and I'm going to go shopping instead of worrying about what they're doing. She is not talking about dereliction of duty. She is talking about saving yourself so that you can be a whole person, you can be healthy, and that you can help people when it's appropriate to. If your kid has a heroin problem and is asking for help, this book is not saying, eh, fuck him. This book is saying... Fuck this we, kid. Yeah, yeah, fuck that guy. We need you to understand when you've done too much. When you have run out of your own fuel, when you're out of spoons, so to speak, that is not the time to be giving to someone whose whole MO is to take all of it. Yeah. Like, we're, you're, we're trying to save you first. This is like being on the airplane, and we've lost pressure, and... The little oxygen masks come down. Parents, put yours on first. Don't put it on the kid first. Put it on yourself first. And codependents just sit on the airplane like, what do I do? (laughs) (laughs) And the idea is like, okay, so let's say you put the mask over the kid and then you pass out because there's no oxygen and your kid is a kid. And they're not going to do the appropriate thing. Now they're an orphan. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Now they're an orphan. Is that what you want? Do you want the terrorists to win? 
the idea is you put the oxygen mask on yourself and then you put it on the kid. If the kid loses consciousness for a second, that's fine. You know, maybe they lose one or two brain cells. But what we're talking about is your family is now going to survive because you are getting what you need and you're not going to be overextending yourself in your relationships with your family, your friends, your loved ones. And she talks about how hard it is. She definitely acknowledges how hard it is to differentiate between I'm a caring person. She also uses like Christianity, you know, I'm a Christian person. I'm taught to care and love and be kind to people. And she's like, this is not what being a caring person is. Right. And how hard it is for a codependent person to put themselves in the mindset of putting themselves first, because it does feel like you're being selfish. Yeah. Without some practice. Right. Exactly. I kind of wanted to talk about a chapter that I actually... So each time I finish the these books, I kind of will revisit a chapter that really stuck out to me or that I just wanted to understand a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And for this one, there was actually two. One was the chapter that was based on the concept of setting yourself free from controlling someone else. And that just sounds nice, right? Right. So you're setting yourself free from feeling like you need to call and reschedule your spouse's appointment Mm -hmm. or figuring out how you're going to pay this month's bill, you know, without your spouse's help. Um, They had a lot of a lot of people just like in this book, like not working and skipping out on their poor partner and especially if you have children like i can't imagine how stressful that be with that would be with children i only have cats well things just get worse and worse and worse that's how that goes one chapter i revisited as well was the one she talks about the state of acceptance where you're kind of accepting the situation you're in and almost objectively putting pulling your emotions out of it pulling your psychological attachments out of it and figuring out where you need to go from there. And that was really helpful to me because I could kind of see that in my situation in hindsight. I almost feel like I had a codependent life and then I had a new life where I'm moving away from it. The state of acceptance for me was so difficult in the past because I feel like I grew up with such a kind of family all over the place, uh, separated feeling where I had a lot of family members, a lot of step parents, a lot of cousins, a lot of grandparents and people leaving and, and getting divorced and getting married. And I felt alone on that island of me and when I was growing up all I wanted was like a family like oh I just want like to feel like I have my own family and I have my own place and when I got married I was like I'm giving up that dream now because my marriage is falling apart and it's just not working and that was hard to come to that state of acceptance 
And now, I mean, my advice for every single person who reaches out to me is like, just dump his ass. Dump him. <laughs> dump him, sis. Do not put up with him a day longer. Like, <laughs> So a lot of that is like, you're saying that what you wanted before, really what you're talking about is safety. Yeah. And then the idea of moving into your adult family mm-hmm. and that not feeling safe either Mm -hmm. that's going to bring up some interesting behaviors as you kind of try to claw your way to safety yeah both as a kid and as an adult and the what you're talking about acceptance is the the jargon of 12-step programs yes basically like you're you have to give up in order to start new you have to go, okay, so um, I've been holding on to the wheel with white knuckles, and my hands are cramped. No, your hands are bleeding. Your hands are like blisters, like just cuts and scrapes. It's more than just like a cramp. Yeah. you. Well, you okay, so your bones are exploding out of your hands with compound fractures right and left. But you have to let go of the wheel. You've got to get out of the damn car, and you've got to go find a new car. Yeah. You know, like a uh, different road, different car. Yeah. I'm driving a different bus now. This path does not go any further. And in order to really win it being yourself, you have to understand like when you have when you've lost. When I reached that point, it was very intimidating, but also very peaceful to know that I can do whatever I want. and I was so astounded by the amount of energy I had just from I guess being just constantly activated Mm. in a codependent relationship I'm assuming that that you know we're talking like high cortisol levels yeah you know which will that'll make you real sick yeah. Um, like essentially that begins the, the process of your body rebelling against you. Yeah. When I removed that problem, <laughs> not my problem anymore. Yeah. You know, that was so enriching and healing. Um, and I wish I could convey that. I can't tell anybody to yeah. leave their relationship. I can't, but I wish I could convey how quickly you're going to heal. You will be so shocked. I was shocked because I was, I would consider myself one of those, like, if I could do it, hell yes, you can do it. Like, I, you know, have deeply depressive episodes. I have deeply traumatized brain functions. And all of this situational stuff. Yeah. And then you're able to just, like, leave the situational stuff in the situation. Yeah. Bye. And it's not like I am just healed and cured from my mental illness, but how much more manageable is my symptoms when I'm not having to worry about controlling another person? Yeah. Yeah, you can actually be present when you're not... (laughs) When you're not worrying about the the future of the explosive person over here. I remember one part of the book, she was talking about how you're kind of, 
you know, it, I mean, it goes without saying you're, you're not putting yourself first. So you're disconnecting from the things that you love to do. You're disconnecting from friends you love to spend time with. I remember thinking about once um, in my marriage, how terrified I was to go on a girl's trip, like a weekend trip with my friends. Yeah. Leaving that person alone. Yep. Oh my God. I was like, and all my friends are so excited and we're having so much fun and we're planning. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be in so much trouble when I get back. Or just like, what's going to happen? Yeah. You know, I had a, a girlfriend that wouldn't let me tour, uh, wouldn't let me go to certain shows, um, that wouldn't let me go do a semester abroad. You know, I couldn't even consider doing things without her mm-hmm. because she was so explosive. Yeah, it just the idea that, like, after a while, you realize that you can't make plans that don't involve this other person. Mm-hmm. And when you accept that and don't think, well, that's kind of weird, that's a problem. You know, that's officially textbook codependent. Mm-hmm. When you can't even, oh, well, I couldn't. I couldn't go on this trip without her. You know, mm-hmm. I would get I would get in so much trouble. They'll make it such a problem. I was just like, what is this person going to do left to their own devices? Yeah. They're going to, you know, fuck every person that they see cuz you know, they're going to bring all these people into my house. Mm. You know, just things like that. Um and there was parts where she would talk about how the addict or the abuser in these situations were going to instill that fear. Yeah. You know, well, if I cheat on you, it's your fault. If I lose my job, it's your fault. If I crash the car, it's your fault for letting me, Look you know, what you do made it. me do. Right. Yeah. And um, those were the things that I would get so worried about and just like occupy my time and my day i don't i don't know how it was functioning i mean i wasn't probably true <laughs> yeah yeah when when you're in that state you're you're not able to perform it at your peak obviously um i wanted to talk and i don't know how uh, how many times we're going to do this i don't i don't think this is going to be an official part of the outline for each episode but i have to bring up the and this is really ugly. I hate doing this, but I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't mention this to our listeners. The technical aspects of the two audiobooks that we listened to. <laughs> right. While I'm while I'm doing this, can you look up and see who narrated yours? Because oh, yeah. my copy, my my audiobook. I got from Apple Books, and it is a, a beautiful new edition. It's like that was updated like apparently a few weeks ago, and I'm saying this because of the references that are being made throughout right. the book. Uh, but okay, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give a little demonstration here. So I listened to your book, and it sounded good. Yeah. And the first thing that I noticed about my audiobook was that it did not sound good, especially in headphones, which was the way that I listened to like the mm-hmm. first half of the book. And as a guy who records things, my eyes were rolling into the back of my head and I'm like, boy, I really hope that other people do not have 
issues like this when they try to listen to this. So let me give you an example. I feel like Melody Beatty was recording this audiobook, first off, not on a microphone like what we're using and what is the standard for recording audiobooks with sound treatment and all that. It kind of sounded like she had taken her phone and was using her phone microphone and had simply gone to a corner of her house, like her office or something, no sound treatment, which like the people at home are like rolling their eyes already, like Adam, nobody cares. So it would be like she would be talking and it would sound like this for about a minute and a half. And let's say that her delivery is kind of flat and it's going to be like this throughout. And then it would get very sultry for one line. I was about to say, it would line. sound like she was and then far it's away. It's back to this. Yeah. <laughs> and I found that really, 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 really amazingly distracting. I guess it's Apple Books or whatever. Um, the read by the author, which is always going to be the best, right? Right, you would assume so. Like, it, if this is your book and you're reading it, that's going to be the truthiest truth possible. But I kind of felt like... Kind of felt like she'd read it before already, and this time she's just reading it on her phone and hoping that that's going to be okay. If she gets a text, she stops recording and answers the text. She might record the next few lines in her kitchen. Now, Melody, I'm sure, is I've this is completely warranted going to send me a nasty email. And I, again, I hate to bring this up, <laughs> but... There is another version of the book, and it's yeah. the one that you listened to, and it I didn't sounded intend great. to. I didn't intend to pick one over the other. Also, my book seemed like it was completely in the chapters were in a different order than yeah, yours. Yeah, that was one thing because we were trying to figure out like just throughout the week, you know, oh, what chapter are you on? And you were like, it's the one about this, and I was like, well, I already did that one, but you're farther ahead. Uh, you know, it was just like really strange where the chapters were. My edition, I mean the. <laughs> the cover looks really 80s and old. I didn't mm. in I didn't intentionally pick that one, but it was um narrated by Christina Moore and That's the one on Audible, right? Yeah, and she's, you know, she sounds, you know, just like a normal, very nice lady. Um <laughs> I will say it was kind of funny like listening to her talk about like looking up uh Al-Anon or AA meetings in the phone book. <laughs> yeah. And mine, however, mentions Wordle. As yeah, being a, a, I was surprised when you told me that because um, <laughs> mine is I didn't realize the book was written in the 80s. Yeah. Um, so if you an ancient piece of literature, if you want the updated version read by the author, please. I mean, I'm not going to judge you. But if you have uh, like auditory issues like mine, where like the changes in audio quality and microphone and hey this was clearly recorded two weeks later when she didn't have a cold anymore if that thing is gonna bother you like it bothers me stay away from the the version that i got and i don't know if your version had this but <laughs> in mine she's rattling off all these extra books that she's referencing and we need to go immediately read. And I'm like, first of all, I've got my therapist recommending me these freaking books. Uh -huh. I've got my friends recommending me these freaking books. And now the books I'm reading are recommending more motherfucking books. Flag on the play. Like, come on. Like, could you not just cover it all? Um, no, I mean, it was very insightful. Obviously, Mrs. Beatty is 
a self-help queen at this point, and I think she's got a great handle and her, on her career. Her story <laughs> is unbelievable. The stuff that she has lived through and tell the tale about is uh, a madness. Mm-hmm. Like, she has lived through utter madness. A lot of people are probably going to have a light bulb go on uh, at this moment here at the end of the podcast. But she was raised by an alcoholic and then, mm-hmm. question mark, and then everyone that she was with mm-hmm. for many years was an alcoholic. People who needed care to be taken of them, mm-hmm. people who needed to be saved, uh, and people who were guaranteed to utterly destroy her life in various different ways. Mm-hmm. Codependents have a very, very hard time recognizing when they have chosen a person like that. Oh, yeah. The alcoholic or abuser or drug user or whatever is, they don't care. <laughs> well, especially when you're in a situation where you think that that kind of consumption is normal. Right. And you're not just like, oh, wow, this person I'm on a date with is a really big drinker. Uh, maybe I should not go out with them again. And uh, some people won't think that. Right. Some people yeah. like, and that it all comes back to like, what was normal for you when you were growing up? Mm-hmm. What was normal for you when you were a teenager? Mm-hmm. Whatever those two answers are, you're going to continue to do that. Mm-hmm. If your parents fought four hours a day, you're going to think it's completely normal to come home and yell at your spouse for four hours or to get yelled at for four hours. You will just sit there and take it and like, well, it's a Tuesday. Life is not supposed to be like that. If life is going like that, you have to kind of figure out why is it like that? What role do I play in it? And what do I need to change? I feel like Codependent No More is really good for giving you some of those tools to recognize that and give you some ideas about what needs to change. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to say as we're wrapping up. Oosh. What are what is something that you would say to listeners who are listening or reading along and are like, "Oh wow, this is really this is me right now. I am in a codependent relationship with parent, friend, partner." What would you say to these people? I would say to read the book a little at a time and watch, observe. Mm-hmm. Like I was talking about back at the top of the podcast, like just get a feel for what might really be going on. Check that that's true. And, you know, like we're all a little bit crazy. And, uh, you know, if we're reading a book about codependency, we're going to be thinking about codependency. Mm-hmm. So read some of the book. Two chapters at a time is enough shock for, you know, six oh God, months. Right. It's it's so much. So I don't have any problem with spacing it out. I feel like uh, absorbing it in seven days has affected my mood uh, yeah. pretty, pretty greatly uh, because it is a lot of trauma. It's a lot of right. other people's trauma. It's a lot of remembering trauma. And it's, it's a lot of information. So I'd say... Take as much of the book as you can at a time Mm -hmm. without feeling like you're completely exhausted. Mm -hmm. And then think about that stuff as you watch the events unfold in your life. Watch your own behavior. Mm -hmm. Watch your partner's behavior. Stop yourself 
when you think that you're doing something codependent and watch what happens yeah. as you go the other way, as you make the other decision. Watch as this person gets mad that you didn't catch them when they fell mm-hmm. on purpose mm-hmm. and start to realize, oh, I have to do my own job. Mm-hmm. And if they're not okay with that, see what changes you have to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I think, That's my advice. No, that's great advice. I think if I would have read, consumed this book in the thick of my codependency, I would have panicked. I would have been. Yeah. Because the idea that my marriage could not be saved was would send me into a panic. Like, I'm just going to have to throw this away. Would would That would really upset me at the time. Yeah. And I remember talking to my couples therapist a couple days after I made the decision to leave. And he was like, well, Amber, you did every single thing you could to save your marriage, but it can't just be you and you're not married to yourself. I was like, oh, wouldn't it be great if I was married to myself? Wouldn't that be nice? That would be so cute. Like that episode of Broad City where Ilana is dating maybe and they just look exactly the same. <laughs> or I would marry a swimming pool or a tree or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm going to go be codependent with an oak tree now. All right. On that note, Amber, why don't you tell us about the socials? I will tell you about the socials. (laughs) So we are on Instagram at checking.in.podcast. I am currently having a link tree situation. So there are lots of really fun links in that. You can find Melody Beattie. She is on Instagram under at author. Melody BT, that's B E A T T I E. And you can let her know what you think of her amazing book. And again, don't say anything mean to this lady. She's had enough stuff go wrong in her life, Lord knows. <laughs> I don't know why we always expect everybody's just going to be mean. That's just how the internet is, I guess. That's how the internet is, quite frankly. All right. We'll see y'all next week. Bye.